a breach of trust. Uh, it's my understanding Capitol Police is doing the investigation. It's a personnel issue. So we clearly will be... I'm not going to comment on the personnel issue. And it's under investigation. Gay sex. In a U.S. Senate chamber this week. Not just sex, which would be bad enough, but gay sex filmed in a Senate chamber. It's a Senate staffer who did this, a guy, as we see here, posing with Biden. I am really looking forward to today's episode, and that's because instead of having a single idea, which is what we typically do and drive through the entire show um, addressing that particular idea. Today, I'm largely just responding to you as an audience. Now, I'd love to be able to respond to every post, uh, at least the thoughtful ones, and many of you do. Many of you in the posse do leave us some very thoughtful comments, both on YouTube and Twitter and other social media platforms. I also get emails you know, that are sent to the general account, and some of those are forwarded to me, and I engage with a lot of people when I'm out speaking and so on. And so I've kind of put together a few questions uh, today that have been sent to me uh, from you, and I'm going to respond to them. We used to we used to refer to a segment like this as mean tweets. You know, the <laughs> the things where people would tell me what an idiot I am or how awful they think I am, but. You know that can that can even get a little boring after a while. So we we try to give you a good representation of the positive as well as uh, the negative. And so we're gonna we're gonna start there today, and then we're gonna move on to some issues that I think are gonna be of some real interest to you. But here's here's a comment from Shannon. I just listened to your excellent podcast. Question: What causes men like Soros to so deeply disregard human life? Is it that they've given themselves over to demonic control as the Bible warns of? I have no explanation. I'd like to hear yours. Thank you, sir. Well done. You know, um, certainly there are those people who have given themselves over. And the Apostle Paul speaks of, you know, conscience, that conscience itself can be seared. Now, again, I know that some of you who watch this show, you're not Christians. And you know, I'm I'm glad to have whatever your ideological or ideological persuasion. I'm glad to have you watching this show. But I hope you'll consider what Scripture has to say on some of these things because it offers great wisdom and what I would say is of eternal value. And when it says that conscience can be seared, it means, you know, he says as with a hot iron, it's just burned so that there's no sense, no longer any real sensitivity um, to the things that should move normal human beings, whether you're a Christian or not. Take, for example, what happened on October 7 when Hamas attacked uh, Israel and attacked these innocent people, concert goers, and so on. And then you, you see instances, or certainly hear of if you didn't see them, instances of killing babies, of beheading babies, of raping women, of slaughtering men, Somebody doesn't just do that. They have been acclimated to that. They have, they have been, they have been um, in a place where they have been so desensitized, their consciences 
have already been seared as with a hot iron so that they just don't think twice about doing those kinds of things. In fact, I mean, you, you see this picture of a woman you know, whose legs are broken and her naked body is laying in a pickup truck and she's being paraded around as though she's... Is the way I would see you know, someone who's, who's returning from a hunt the way they might have returned from a deer hunt. And this is, you know, this is the trophy for the day, just parading her around and not thinking anything about it. Their consciences are seared. Now, has George Soros done that kind of thing? Well, perhaps not exactly that, but he has funded it. And George Soros, who is Hungarian, do bear in mind that George Soros was a Nazi collaborator. Now, I do understand that he was a minor at that time. I think he was, you know, maybe 16, 17, somewhere in there when he was uh, when he was assisting the Nazis in stealing Jewish wealth. But even when he was asked about that in a 60-minute interview, he showed zero remorse for that. And that suggests to me that he's sociopathic. Um, it's just shocking that he that he doesn't seem bothered by that. And as we saw in the episode that I think you're referring to, uh, Asoro says there, A, he doesn't believe in God, and many dominoes fall from that, so that he arrives at a place where he says in that 60 Minutes interview with Steve Cross, there's more than one 60 Minutes uh, interview that he has done, uh, he says he doesn't consider the social consequences of his actions. So I, I think that's I think that's how you get there is by repeatedly violating conscience, where you get to a place that your conscience, which is the soul's voice, it no longer cries out, it no longer complains to you when you're doing something that is wrong. And by the way, I should add this: years ago, I was at a lecture at MIT on uh, on learning and the brain. And Dr. Jerome Kagan, who is uh, now deceased, and it's too bad because I thought very highly of him. I was very impressed with his lecture. But he was, at that time, he was the chair uh, of the Department of Psychology at Harvard University. And, uh, and so here he was, you know, just having come across town um, to uh, give this lecture at MIT. And he said that pharmaceutical companies are working on a pill a pill that you could take that would um, remove any sense of guilt from you. Um, and the ideas he was putting it behind it was that there are those who believe that, that the guilt you feel for, let's say, um, homosexual acts or for immoral uh, other kinds of um, sexual immorality that you shouldn't feel guilty for that. And so they're making a pill so that you would take it, so you, would, you wouldn't feel that anymore. You, you do what you want, and then you take a pill, and you no longer, you no longer feel the guilt for that. And um, Kagan's point was, think of how alarming it will be for society when we get to a place where people don't feel guilt for immoral behavior. Now, again, the, the developers of such a pharmaceutical drug would be of the view that you shouldn't feel guilty, that there's nothing wrong with this and there's just something kind of wrong with you or the way that we as human beings are made that we would feel guilty for doing um, these kinds of things. 
But God has implanted, you know, as I'll put it, a, a little black box, and it is conscience. And it's not just given to believers, it's given to absolutely everyone. And um, this is what the Apostle Paul means when he says in Romans 2.15 that God has written his law upon our hearts. It's on the hearts of everyone. And he says later, uh, I think in Romans 3, but maybe it's, maybe it's still in Romans 2, I'm just going from memory here, he says that it is your conscience that will testify against you at judgment. Think about that for a second, that at judgment it will be your conscience that testifies against you. The idea being there, I mean, to me, I kind of almost picture a PowerPoint. You say you didn't know? Oh, slide one. You went to do this and your conscience told you, don't do it, don't do it, but you did it anyway. Slide two. You went to do this and your conscience again cried out and said, don't do it. But you can, you can sear your conscience as with a hot iron. Next comment. I don't believe you have read any of those books on your desk. <laughs> this was a uh, this was a YouTuber, you know, who made this uh, this particular remark. And I'll just simply say this. If if I haven't read them, I sure wasted an enormous amount of time staring at their pages. Uh, because I tell you, I was required to read these books uh, in as an undergraduate, as a high school student, some of them, um, as an undergraduate and also as a graduate student. And then, of course, there's many that I have read uh, since that time. But, I mean, you believe what you want to believe. If you didn't think I, I read them, then, <laughs> you know, suit yourself. I don't care. Next comment. Christians act like homosexuality is some sort of special category of sin. There's no difference between that and any other kind of sexual sin. That is wrong, but it is a comment that I will hear a lot of Christians themselves say. I've heard some prominent Christians say this kind of thing. And what they don't realize that they're doing is they are they are <clears throat> misquoting, they are misusing a statement that is frequently made in Christian circles and in many Christian sermons where something like this is said, that, that all sin is the same. Well, what is meant by that, the proper context of that is all sin is the same insofar as it separates us from God. It brings separation from God. This is what's meant when we're talking about it. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 uh, where we get the doctrine of original sin, that we're, we're born separated from God as a result of our sin. But it doesn't mean that all sins are the same in terms of their consequences. Certainly they are not. And homosexuality is a special category of sin because it involves um, perversion. So if we're talking about, say, for instance, David and Bathsheba, what we're talking about there is uh, David was immoral, but what he did wasn't perverse. You, you see, in other words, it, uh, homosexuality is like, say, pedophilia. It's a rebellion against nature, and it is an attack upon the very image of of God, whereas when we're we're talking about fornication, you know, for for instance, what we're talking about there is an act of immorality, but not not an attack on the image of God, and not something that is in fact unnatural. So it is important that you understand this. They are not they are not the same. 
Next comment from Maverick. Just followed your podcast. Seems dope. You know, that <laughs> that term, that term, when I first saw that, I, I saw it on a t-shirt that said, Jesus is dope. I had never, I had ne Maverick, I'd never seen the word dope this several years ago used in that context. So for me and my generation, I thought that meant I thought that meant dope. I thought that meant drugs. I thought it meant marijuana. And it's like, Jesus is marijuana? I don't know. Jesus gets me high? Is that what that's supposed to mean? Anyway, I, uh, I appreciate your comment. I'm glad that you think this show is dope. Trump is a fascist and wannabe dictator. Now, what's being suggested here is that I somehow am propping him up and thus furthering a fascist dictatorial agenda. It's hard for me to take statements like this seriously. It really is. And I say this as someone, I, I, I maybe have never really clarified my political position and maybe I'll alienate some of you in doing so. I am not so much a for Trump as I am against the left. I am against the left. There's, there's almost anybody on the, the somewhat conservative side of the spectrum that I would prefer, that I would prefer to this Biden administration or, you know, somebody, somebody on, uh, on the Democrat left. I mean, we know that it's really Obama, you know, who's, who is the puppet master here. I would take almost anybody uh, on the somewhat conservative side, whether that's Trump or DeSantis. And, and by the way, I like DeSantis. I'd be thrilled if Trump were to win. But I would be equally thrilled if DeSantis were elected. And let's just say this, DeSantis is much more conservative than is Trump. Trump, I think, is a... Um, and I've said this in, in, in articles. I think that Trump... Trump is a businessman, and he understands that the way for business to work, to work successfully, you have to keep your bargains. Um, we know, I mean, just from recent interviews, that Donald Trump is in particularly, you know, pro-life. He, he just isn't. But he is unquestionably the most pro-life president in modern history. I mean, the fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned was because of Donald Trump. Now, how can that be when you have a guy who really isn't that pro-life? It's because he basically made a bargain with evangelicals. If you vote for me, if you elect me, if you support me, I will be your man. And he kept the bargain. He did. And he governed as a more conservative president since the most conservative president since Reagan. And in some ways, I would say more conservative than Reagan, certainly when it came to Supreme Court justice appointees and, uh, and Roe v. Wade. But when you say that he's a fascist, do you even know what fascism is? I would suggest that you don't. We have, you know, the, this also tells me, you know, Trump is a fascist and a wannabe dictator. It tells me that you are of a weak mind so that you're easily manipulated by media because this is the media narrative. They are doing everything that they're accusing Trump of doing. They're fascists and they want to be dictators. 100%. But no, it's Trump. Trump's the one that we, uh, we should be wary of. Trump wasn't the guy who was for open borders. Trump isn't the guy who was for the sexualization of children. Trump isn't 
the guy who's pushing for digital IDs and for kill switches in your automobiles and to end uh, you know, your use of a gas stove and to put everything on an electric grid so they can flip a switch on your whole life. Trump isn't the guy who is um, deeply involved with the World Economic Forum and seeking to end U.S. sovereignty. Trump isn't the guy who got us involved in a war in Ukraine. Trump isn't the guy who's given billions, billions, hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine where it undoubtedly is being laundered and sent back into the pockets of Democrats. Trump is not that guy. So when you make statements like this, it just tells me that, that you really aren't thinking, you're just feeling. You're just feeling what the media wants you to feel. And they want you to feel like you're under the threat of some kind of dictatorial regime. If Trump wins, I mean, it'll be the end of American democracy. This is the kind of crap that Rob Reiner tweets. The guy is not intelligent. I know that it was, I know that it was a fictitious you know, show, but Carol O'Connor's Archie Bunker character did get Rob Reiner right in calling him meathead. He is a meathead. He just isn't that bright, at least not when it comes to politics. Let's take, this reminds me of something that took place in a U.S. Senate chamber this week, and that is gay sex. Not just sex, which would be bad enough, but gay sex filmed in a Senate chamber. And now, and it was a Senate staffer who did this, a guy, as we see here, the staffer posing with Biden. And now he's bent over, and pardon me, I'm trying to put this, you know, when you're talking about an administration that you can't really talk about in plain terms or show images of what they're doing because they're that perverse, you really expect me to take you seriously when you're making these claims about any Republican. These people are these people are so sick. They are so depraved. So here's this guy filming himself getting rear-ended in a Senate chamber. And now we'll show you this headline. Fired Senate staffer who filmed gay sex tape in hearing room cries homophobia. Now he's a victim. He's a victim for showing his rear end, for showing himself naked and having sex on a table in a Senate hearing room. We should feel sorry for him. This, you know, it kind of reminds me of, <laughs> on, on a less perverse uh, side of this, mooning. I have never understood the concept of that. Someone else pulls down their pants, but I'm supposed to be the, the embarrassed one. You show your backside, but I'm supposed to be embarrassed. This is a humiliation to me. <laughs> no, it isn't. It is to you if, if you're, you're the idiot who's doing this. And by the way, these things, these, these perversions, they're meant to desecrate. They're meant to offend. Why choose a Senate hearing room? Why not go do this in, uh, in your apartment, in your house? Because they purposefully chose sites that are, are, in the historical sense, holy. I don't mean it in the, 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 the sense of, um, of religion or of the Christian faith. 
but they are they're kind of holy sites. They're choosing them and desecrating them on purpose. But here was the response of TMZ. Now look at this headline. It shows a picture. I don't know if you can see here. It's quite dark. It shows a ring girl. You know, the ring girls come out in between rounds of a boxing match, or in this case, of a UFC, Ultimate Fighting Championship, you know, uh, uh, contest. And they come out in between. If you've seen Rocky, you've seen, you know, the ring girls. They come out and go round two, round three. They're always, they're always beautiful women who are in something like a bikini. And TMZ, <laughs> this is funny to me, TMZ says this. We have this going on in the Senate. Gay sex in the Senate. But TMZ posts this headline. Donald Trump oogles. And by the way, it's ogles. But they have misspelled it in their headline. O-O-G-L-E-S. And it's O-G-L-E-S. It's only one. So I'm, I'm only saying it the way they've written it here. Donald Trump oogles. Ring girl at UFC 296. And it shows her walking along with the placard. And Trump is looking up and smiling. Um, some people say he's not looking at her. I, I think he probably is. Two thoughts here. Whether or not you like ring girls or not, we could, we could have that debate on another occasion. The fact is that ring girls are meant to be seen. And if you're a heterosexual male ringside and you're not looking... I have to say there's something probably wrong with you. These days, I don't know if you feel this way or not, but these days I'm almost relieved when a man shows himself to be a normal heterosexual male. You know, you you hear he's, you know, he's in in some kind of trouble and you discover that it involves, you know, a woman, you just think, whew, "Thank God it wasn't uh wasn't children." Thanks God he wasn't having sex with animals. Thanks God that this this didn't uh, this didn't involve um, men. Thank God. Thank God he's normal. But they're trying to suggest here that what Trump is doing is perverse. Is perverse. But you have all this going on in the Senate, and they're ignoring that. This is, this is the, the administration. This is the culture that we find ourselves in. And it's important that you understand uh, the difference here because they want to hold up to you something like this and say, look how awful this is. This is terrible. Oh my, I can't believe he's doing this. And they're ignoring, they're ignoring what was going on in the Senate. I also want to throw this in at this point because I think this is important. I am so glad that guys like Tucker Carlson are starting to say what I have been saying since 2016. And that is that the left is trying to create an atmosphere for an assassination on Donald Trump. Are they themselves going to um, engineer it? No, I don't think so. But I do think they're trying to create that atmosphere. And that's why they're saying things like he's a fascist, he's Hitler. It will be the end of American democracy. It will be the end of America as we know it. CNN and MSNBC and uh, uh, various other networks are pushing this narrative. It's laughable. It's insane. But they're doing it 
with the intent, I believe, to create an atmosphere for someone to kill Trump. And in the same way that they created an atmosphere for violence in our streets leading up to the 2020 election. You know, white supremacy is such a problem. We have, we have all these races um, in our country. The black man is suppressed. We need to get out into the streets. We need to protest. Um, and of course, that kind of, you know, really hasn't really stopped. We now have, you know, these uh, kind of mob lootings and things of, of that nature. But they were creating the atmosphere for this. And they made sure through Soros-appointed prosecutors that there was almost no prosecution of the people who were committing these things. But they created the atmosphere. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a tactic that was used by the Bolsheviks in the lead up uh, to the Russian Revolution. It's what they did in various countries where they overthrew those regimes to install uh, Marxist or communist um, regimes. But it's also a tactic that was used by Adolf Hitler um, in the uh, lead up to the seizure of power in Germany in 1933. The fascists were doing this. They were doing it with their their brown shirts, their SAs, their stormtroopers, whatever you want to want to call them, but they were they were doing this in the street. They were cre and then they created throughout the 1930s an atmosphere of hatred towards Jews, so that people got to a place where they were so numb to the narrative, they just didn't think twice when they saw um, people forcing a Jew to. Um, clean the sidewalk, you know, with a toothbrush or where the Star of David um, was painted upon their windows and people were told not to, to shop there. And ultimately, until those people were being rounded up and put on cattle cars, people just turned a blind eye to it and didn't pay attention to it. So this is the kind of atmosphere they're seeking to create. And it reminds me towards Trump and towards, of course, those who would vote for him or conservatives in general, Christians, I would suggest you are a primary target here. But it reminds me of another book that I haven't read. Um, I say that sarcastically. I not only read it, but taught it for many years. And that's T.S. Eliot's Murder in the Cathedral. It's, uh, it's an interesting, you know, little book, you know, fictitious, but based on a based on a historical event, and that is the killing of Thomas a Becket um, by King Henry, uh, who had a great, um, how shall I put it, a uh, controversy, uh, conflict with him. And, uh, and it had to do with, you know, ecclesiastical power versus that of the, of the church versus that of the secular authority, which was embodied by the king himself. And Thomas of Becket was eventually murdered by some of the king's men. How did that come about? Well, in real history in both and also in, the, uh, in, in Murder in the Cathedral, uh, Eliot's book, you have this. The king says something, did say Something to this effect, will no one rid me of this troublesome priest? He floated that remark as if speculating. Gosh, well, is there no one I can count on? None of my men that I can count on to actually rid me of this troublesome priest? Oh, well. And what did his men do? They went to Canterbury and they murdered Thomas of Becket, but it gave Henry a kind of deniability. He could say, oh gosh, well, I, 
that wasn't what I was calling for. That isn't what I meant. I was just simply saying, you know, Beckett is really getting on my nerves. I wasn't calling for anyone to murder him. That's what's going on with this. Will no one rid me of this troublesome priest? Will no one rid me of this? Will no one rid America of this fascist would-be dictator Donald Trump? Oh, someone shot him? Someone blew up his car? Well, we weren't calling for that. Shock and horror. This is what they're doing. This is how evil these people are. Next, best books on manliness to read to my 16-year-old son. I am the father of three fine grown young men and uh, took very seriously um, the task of raising them to honorable manhood. And my response also having spent, you know, 30 years teaching, teaching young people, teaching youth, uh, young men and young women, I would suggest to you that you do not want to, you do not want to be reading books or having your son reading books about manliness. No, no young man wants to do that. I would hate that. He doesn't want to read wild at heart. He's not, he's not interested in reading books along those lines, unless he's just a very unusual kid. And if he is, then, then great. Instead, what I would say is read, have him read. Don't read to him. I mean, he's 16 years old. He can do this himself. But have him read biographies of great men. And I've just written down a few titles here to be helpful to you. And by, by the way, anybody who's, who's watching the show today, uh, these are books you'll enjoy, whether you're male or female. These are, these are all excellent books, and I've, I've brought some of them here. I just very quickly went through my bookshelf and, uh, and grabbed a few. Uh, let's see here. We've got uh, David McCullough's Truman. Uh, that, anything by David McCullough, I think, is great. David McCullough also has a great voice. He narrated Ken Burns' Civil War series, you know, back in the 80s. And, uh, and there is at least a version of this on audio tape that he himself narrates that is, that is not, a, um, it's not abridged. But this book is excellent, and it is, um, you know, this, it, was a, it was a bestseller when it came out in the early 90s, and it follows, uh, of course, the life and career, the presidency of, of Harry Truman. Um, but I think books like this, the point is that books of this kind are very useful because not only are they learning real history, but it is offering them insight into real people. And to real issues, their ups and downs, their failures, um, the influences upon their lives, the conflicts, the, um, the adversity that they had to overcome, their triumphs, all of it. It presents them, at least a good biography, presents these individuals uh, awards and all. And that's, that's an encouragement, I think, uh, to, um, to many a young man because sometimes... I think that we very wrongly present to them, for instance, in our preaching, we present to them uh, apostles, disciples, people who seem ethereal. They seem, you know, like, like the individuals on the stained glass, somehow perfect. And that, of course, isn't the real story of who any of those biblical characters were, unless we're talking about Jesus himself. 
And that matters because young men are often aware of their, at least they're starting to be aware of their own limitations. And if you hold up to them individuals who seem to have set the bar so high that it's unattainable to them, it's, it, it, it feels defeating. But when you go and you read the story of, as another book I've put here, of let's say, um, oh, Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose, uh, the late Stephen Ambrose historian, uh, he's telling the story of Lewis and Clark, uh, their journey uh, all the way to the Pacific Northwest. And that's, uh, that's, I mean, these guys faced lots of adversity and they themselves had plenty of Faults. I've also included here um, endurance. I don't have it here, but endurance is the story of uh, Shackleton and his voyage to um, Antarctica, which is which is fantastic. Uh, My early life by uh, Winston Churchill, the Great Escape, right here, which is you know became the movie, you know, the iconic movie for my generation with with guys like James Garner and Steve McQueen and Charles Bronson and various others. The book is the book is fabulous. Uh, Stanley about the life of Henry Morton Stanley by Tim Geale, um, John Adams, David McCullough, another David McCullough book. There are there are a ton of them that you can read that are fantastic and a young man will love them. They will love them. Have them read about great men. We did this with our children, and it was hugely, hugely encouraging to them, and I think provided models for them other than the ones that they saw in real life, which I hope I was something of a model for them in this regard. Next, I'm totally loving your work. Yesterday, I watched your episode about abortion, and I nearly wept, but I did yell at the TV, yes, well, this, uh, this show is broadcast on DirecTV, in case you didn't know that. I thank God that he gives you a voice to say exactly what I believe and care about, which is the truth. Thank you very much. This is from Greta. I love your content. You are right on with the worldview you espouse and have a lot of geopolitical wisdom, which seems to be lacking most everywhere these days. Next, your daughter is wrong about Ukraine. This is in reference to a show that we did with my daughter, Sasha, my now grown and married uh, daughter, Sasha, whom we adopted from Ukraine, I'm going to talk about her a little bit more here in a here in a few minutes. And um, she was on this show because she had just seen the film uh, "Sound of Freedom," which deals with child trafficking, which Sasha knows something about at a personal level, and she had something to say. And that. That show, I think, now has, I don't know, 250,000 views. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you should go and watch it. What's funny about that um, show, there are those who would suggest that somehow I was manipulating Sasha. Sasha has a, um, she has very strong opinions, um, and she will tell her story. But she prefers, if she can, that I'm there with her because she would like me to sort of tell the story, and then she chimes in from time to time with her own opinions, which she did. You can go and watch that. And then the final remark here, you're so handsome and smart. And that one is from my mother. That one is from my mother. (laughs) This has been Ideas Have Consequences with me, Larry Alex Taunton. 